The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collin. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world, where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin. On Family Matters today, I'll be talking with Tamara Doris. Uh, My name is Virginia Collin. I'm your host. And I'm expecting to have rather an interesting conversation about neuroscience, spirituality, spirituality, and training our own brains to be happier. Tamara has a BA in psychology and an MA in communications, and she has written 16 books about personal and professional development. The most recent book is The Law of Distraction and art of intention. So I'm looking forward to hearing something about that as we go along. Tamara is a certified hypnotherapist and specializes in subconscious studies and neuroscience as they relate to positive behavioral change. Welcome to the show, Tamara. Well, thank you very much. I am pleased to be here. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this because you're going to be saying things that I don't know anything about. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> well, I, that could be good or that could be bad. Let's hope it's good. Okay. It should be interesting anyway. So let's see. Um, once upon a time, you were in real estate, right? Well, once upon a time, I was in real estate. I've been in real estate about 26 years, and I currently am still an adjunct professor of real estate, so a trainer of real estate. So I kind of, I kind of always have my finger in that pie still. Okay, so the transition from selling houses to helping other people sell houses, that makes sense to me, but what about the transition into getting really focused on people's personal development and professional development? How did that come about? Well, and that is an excellent question. I'm so glad you asked me that because, you know, of all the radios that the radio shows that I've done and television, no one ever asked me that. And to me, it's like such a glaring question. Like, what? You sell houses and you hypnotize people? What's going on there, right? <laughs> right. So here's, here's my story. My story was that, or is, that my mother dragged me into real estate when I was in my early 20s dragged me into it, kicking and screaming, saying, oh, my gosh, you're going to love it. You can make so much money. So I begrudgingly got my license and became involved with the industry. Well, I figured that it was a really good thing to be doing while I followed up my real passion, which was to be a a psychotherapist or a counselor or some other kind of of self-help professional. Um, 
personal trainer, whatever. And so I began going to school while I was still in the real estate industry. And then I ended up, you know, getting my bachelor's degree, and then I ended up getting my master's degree, and then I wrote a couple of personal development books, and I decided to leave the, the corporate um, real estate arena that I had segued into, and I went into mainstream and was going to just be this famous author and hypnotherapist, so I started a practice with a local college which was um, still the one that I work at, American River College, contacted me and said, we would love you to teach a real estate class because you have such a background in real estate. So I'm like, oh, I can't get away from it. So <laughs> I started teaching real estate, and, and I thought, well, you know, I have all this expertise in personal development and personal performance. So I started incorporating that with some of my, my lectures, you know, talking about confidence and overcoming fear and the things that I was really passionate about. So these students, Virginia, were leaving my class, and they were going, and they were selling all these houses, you know, and, and making tons of money. And I thought, now, wait a second. I'm on to something here. And I got my license shortly thereafter, and, of course, the real estate market crashed. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to practice what I preach, and I'm going to apply all these these personal performance and and mind power things to my own practice, because if I can make it and sell a lot of houses in this terrible, terrible, terrible market, then I have proven myself and I'll know that what I'm doing works. And so I did. I took out two years and I became a top producer in that time in the worst market in America. And then I said, okay, I started writing more books and then I added teaching real estate agents um, professionally and training and coaching them kind of to my arsenal of things that I do. Wow, that's quite a story. Well, thank you for asking it. I've never had anyone ask it, you know, like that before. So it was like, yeah, they really do go together. They just don't seem like they do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So hypnotherapy, how does a person get trained to become a hypnotherapist? Well, when I was in my undergrad at Chapman University and I was studying, you know, all of the other students were very interested in abnormal psychology, but I declared that I wanted my, my, um, my minor to be in personal performance psychology. And so I, while I was earning my undergrad, I became very, very interested, if not fascinated or obsessed with the subconscious mind and, and how it affects us. And so it just led me, after studying, um, you know, Milt Erickson and following that path, I just took training and I did it, you know, I did it over a year and just took the training and got certified. And it, it was really, really a good education that I think now is part and parcel. If you're going to be a psychotherapist, I think that you learn a lot more about the subconscious mind and neuroscience in general. But back then, you know, 20 years ago, they weren't teaching a lot of that. So it was just something I did on my own as an adjunct to my degree. It's just, just something that you were interested in, so you did it. So I did it, and, well, and, I, and I had a practice. I had a practice for a couple of years um, uh-huh. in the Sacramento area. So I, you know, I've, I've hypnotized plenty of people, but I probably trained more real estate agents than I have hypnotized people. <laughs> okay. And somewhere along the line, I think yoga came into your life. Was that just, uh, you know, did it just for your own personal interest? Well, yoga... I started practicing yoga about 15 years ago, and I have to tell you, I wasn't very consistent. I did it with a, with a back in the day of VHSs. I would do it on my VCR, but it was really boring by myself, and we didn't have a lot of yoga studios in Sacramento. And now, you know, and this applies just about to anywhere in the country, I would think. 
that's metropolitan, you can't walk outside without hearing about a new yoga studio. So I became probably about four years ago really, really super excited about it and, and recognized what a great thing it was as far as just, just to have less stress and more control over your mind and emotions. And so as a kind of a fun thing to do, I wrote a novel called Secrets of a Spiritual Guru that ended up having a sequel to it because the first one was such a big hit. Um, and so it's kind of a kind of a chiclet, but it gets a little bit into spirituality, and it's about a woman who's in real estate who discovers yoga. So that's kind of my my affiliation with yoga. She's in real estate, and I missed what you said after that. Oh, she's in real estate, and she starts doing yoga. And you know, it's kind of like a, a kind of like a spoof on my own life, but not not necessarily. It's fiction. Okay. Well, some people do yoga for the physical strengthening and toning and flexibility, and some people do it more as a spiritual practice. Um, how do you do it? Well, I do it for both. And I would just, I would say to distinguish those two, there's something called Bikram, which is a more more for athletes and more for just the, the physical aspect, I would say. And the kind that I do, which is called vinyasa, is the kind that you see with the downward dog and the, and the planks. And that's, that tends to be the one that most people do for the spiritual aspect of it. And that's the one that I'm a big fan of. Um, but not, not to mistake in the fact that it's very strenuous. I went this morning. I, I, I try to go three times a week, but quite frankly, it, it's, it's a killer. It's really hard. <laughs> It's hard, but it uh, it somehow strengthens your spiritual life. Absolutely. Okay. Um, okay. And you all do you also meditate regularly? I do. I do. In fact, that's one of the things that I teach um, in the book that you mentioned, Law of Distraction. But also, I actually have one that just came out last month called Mind Over Market. And although it is it is designed. For the real estate industry, mind over market, um, it is replete with neuroscience and a practice that I introduce in both of those books called metacreation, which is what I consider the Westerner's cheat way to meditate. Okay, metacreation. That sounds interesting. Tell me more about that. Well, metacreation is something that I developed um, in my studies and research of neuroscience that combines visualization with meditation, and what differentiates it, Virginia, is that in my explorations of discovering something called brain entrainment technology, which literally, if you do a Google search or a YouTube search, you'll find tons and tons of free samples and, you know, free on YouTube where you don't have to pay for it. But essentially, brain entrainment technology is certain sound waves that have been designed to kind of force your brain into entrainment or synchronization with your left and right brain hemisphere. And why is that a big deal? Is because that's the state, the brain state, that a deep meditator is found to be in. When they put little probes on, you know, like even the Dalai Lama, when they put mm-hmm. little probes on deep meditators' brains, they find, okay, here's what's going on in the brain when a deep meditator, a practitioner of many years has been meditating, here's what happens with their brain. Now let's make up a kind of a sound where people can put headphones on and they can reach that same state. So that's why I call it cheating meditation. Ah, okay. 
And that works. You have, if you listen to the sound, that kind of gets your brain in the mood and, and you go into this state. Right, right. It relaxes you. Don't you? Part of the problem that most Westerners that we have, as you know, especially if we're super type A personalities, the problem that we have is relaxing. And people mm-hmm. will tell me, I try to meditate, but my mind just won't slow down. Well, what they don't really realize most of the time is that it's not just their mind, it's their body. Because if your mind is always going, then your brain is quite likely shooting cortisol all the time. And cortisol is going to keep you awake and active and, and your muscles tense and, you know, you're ready to fight or flight. So you've got to really work on relaxing your brain as well as your body. And when you can relax both your brain and your body, then meditation is not only easy, it's just really, really great. And you learn to love it. It's, I mean, it's addictive. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've experienced that at times in my life. <laughs> Okay. It is. Uh, it's it's really soothing, <laughs> soothing and calming. Do so you meditate regularly yourself? Not as regularly as I would like, um, but sometimes. Yeah. Okay. So we're jumping around a little bit here. Um, it's Americans and and other people in Western culture, but Americans maybe especially tend to. Work hard, play hard, be busy, do a lot, um, put a lot of pressure on themselves, and that leads to stress. And you're saying meditation is is a way to unwind some of that stress. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's really interesting to note that approximately 98% um, of illness is either caused or contributes to or excuse me, stress contributes to 98% of all illness and disease. And I mean, you yourself, in the line of work that, that you are in with, with mediation and, and family matters and divorce and all, all of these things, tremendous stress, tremendous stress that, that takes place and it affects the whole family and it affects our body. And if we can just do something, you know, for 15 or 20 minutes every morning or every evening that can help eliminate that stress, then, you know, that's a ripple effect. It's not just for our health. It's for our family. It's for, you know, our community. So I absolutely am a a huge fan of meditation just for the stress factor alone. Oh, you bring such memories back. I remember the stress level when I was getting divorced was so high, my kids and I kept getting strep throat. It's the only time in my life I've had a problem with that. Well, that's a great example because it, stress is absolutely proven to reduce and, and lower our immune system. Mm-hmm. So meditation in general then, you would say, is a good thing and metacreation might be even better. Or easier, well, I just think easier. So. I think so. Better because it's easier for us to get into the right frame of mind. Well, that with the brain entrainment technology, certainly. But I'm also a, a student. Um, I'm not quite an expert, but I'm certainly a little bit of a layperson when it comes to quantum physics. And you know, I have a very deep understanding an application of the way that things work on an energetic system and when it comes down to that. And, and, you know, people may look at it as spiritual. I don't. I take a scientific stand on, um, on all the things that I teach in this respect. But I believe that visualization 
has been kind of categorized in, in the, oh, that's new age or that's woo-woo, when quite contrary, um, quantum physics shows us that it's entirely possible that we can create with our minds. And clearly, it takes an inordinate amount of concentration, but with meditation, you can achieve that. So one of the things that um, meditation entails is seeing what you want your day to be like, imagining it before it happens. And occurrences in your brain help shape that reality in your external world because our, our lives that we deal with on a day-to-day basis are simply reflections of what's in our subconscious mind. So if we can change our subconscious mind, then we can change our experiences. This is an intriguing idea, and I suddenly realized that I know close to nothing about quantum physics. I know something about physics, but not a much about quantum physics. Is there anything that's easy to explain? What is this f- field about? What is the focus on? Well, sure, sure. I'll just keep it real, real brief and real, real minor. Um, so basically, we didn't. Just like with neuroscience, we didn't used to know there was such a thing as neuroplasticity where the brain continues to grow. Well, Mm -hmm. with physics, as it turns out, with the same supersonic measuring and, and, and technical devices that allow us to see things with a supersonic microscope, for example, we didn't know that Newton was wrong. So Newton was kind of the father of modern physics, but Newton didn't realize that anything was smaller than an atom. And that may not seem like a really big revolutionary idea, but essentially we now know that at a subatomic level, there's things called particles and waves. And we now know, because of technology, that human thought, a computer, whatever you're talking about, at the very subatomic level is made of the same exact particles and waves. Science has yet to determine what makes my hand my hand and my glasses my glasses, but we do know that at a very subatomic level, they're made up of the same thing. And so that kind of gives a whole new spin. Well, and that was what Einstein came up with, with um, MC squared, is simply saying that matter and mind are interexchangeable. So as you can imagine, that opens up a whole can of worms as to, well, if that's true and my thoughts have power and my thoughts are measurable and are energy, then what can I possibly create when I'm, when I'm using my focus? All right. I, I think that is a big enough question that we should come back to that after we take a short break. So just before break, I will mention to people that if they want to find more of your work, they can find it online at www.tamaradoris.com. That's T-A-M-A-R-A-D-O-R-R-I-S.com. We'll be back in a minute. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. 
We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Family members too often find themselves in court arguing about separation, parenting schedules, financial issues, divorce, estates, or care of an elderly relative. There's a better way to solve a family problem. Work with a professional mediator in private, confidential meetings. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at collinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin, and on Family Matters today, I'm talking with Tamara Doris. We, before the break, we're just talking, I was getting a short lesson in quantum physics, which led to the notion that maybe our brains can actually create aspects of our reality. I, I want to invite you to say more about that if you feel like it, or we could, um, you know, kind of calm down and just talk about neuroscience and, and how knowing something about neuro- neuroscience and using it in your everyday life could really make your life better. Absolutely. Well, and the neat thing about it is quantum physics and neuroscience go hand in hand because as much as we want to create something different in our lives and we love the idea of using our minds and our thoughts and our imaginations to do that, if we don't have our, our brains, um, neuroscientifically speaking, focused on what we want, which most people don't, then it can be a hindrance. So we have something called neuroplasticity. And the reason that that's such a big deal is because for a number of years, it was believed that once we became, oh, I don't know, between 25 and 35, our brain stopped growing. Now, that might not seem like such a big deal, but I will tell you that it's an incredibly big deal because when our brain grows, Virginia, I don't mean out like a big head. I mean intricately. And when I say neuroplasticity, I'm referring to the fact that we can continue into old age. We can continue to create new neural pathways and new neural connections. 
one of the things that you may resonate with this is you may see luminosity and what's the other one? Brainathon. You'll see these different commercials, um, things online, you know, during prime time about brain exercises. And the reason you're seeing those is because neuroplasticity has been proven to prevent or at least slow down early onset dementia as well as Alzheimer's disease. So growing the brain is very healthy. And the way you can grow your brain in a simple way is to grow new neurons, like Mm -hmm. by doing a puzzle. Mm -hmm. Or make new neural connections, as you said. Yes, we make a new neural connection every time we have a new experience. That experience has to be novel enough to cause a new neural connection. That's fascinating. (laughs) So how how exactly do people make this useful in their everyday lives? I guess one thing you mentioned is that, you know, if you use your brain, your brain will always be growing new connections. It'll stay more alive and and stay healthier, younger. Um, What else? Right. Well, and I mean, that certainly, it's just like, I equate that to the question about meditation and stress. Of course, meditation is terrific for stress. And of course, growing your brain and living longer and having, you know, acuity, mental acuity and being sharp is extremely important. But I take it on a different level because of my interest in personal performance um, and, and my obsession with subconscious studies. What I have discovered is that the reason when people want to change an aspect of their lives or their personalities, for example, neuroplasticity can be very useful for that. And here's the thing. We can, as humans, we tend to use only about 5% of our conscious brains. In other words, 95% of your brain, 95% of the time, is all on autopilot. You're doing, you know, your, your behavior and your habits and your moods, which, by the way, are very, very much related to your thoughts and related to your biochemistry. But if you're not doing something different, and if you're not thinking something novel or, or completely different from what you normally do, then all you're doing is operating on autopilot. And so if you have a habit of every night after dinner going to the refrigerator, the freezer, and getting into the ice cream, and you've been doing it a long time, that is a very difficult habit to break because you've done it so many times, and there's such a biochemical um, (laughs) outcome when you do that. There's a reward that goes on in your brain called dopamine, then I have to habit. laugh. You, you just know me too well. That is exactly I'm what you. I'm telling you. <laughs> so we have this habit, and it becomes on autopilot. And people, people beat themselves up, whether it's smoking or drinking or whatever it is. And I'm saying chemical substances aside, just the actions and behaviors. And it really boils down to the fact that it's on autopilot. And so we do these things, and we're like, why did I do that again? I said I wasn't going to do that. So what neuroplasticity shows us is that we can make new neural connections that will, over time, allow us to create new neural pathways, which will then go on autopilot. So instead of being automatic to get up and go to the freezer, now it's automatic. You put on your tennis shoes and, you know, get on the treadmill. 
Wow. That would be quite a change for me. <laughs> I'm very well, fond and, of and the chocolate chip ice cream. And the good news entirely, it's entirely doable. And, and I think, you know, I, I don't know, it doesn't sound like this is something that, that you're as familiar with, but I would bet that you could agree with the fact that probably most people you know are, the, are, are their, own, their own reasons for having problems. In other words, everyone causes their own problems. And, you know, sometimes we blame it on other people, but ultimately we're our own worst enemies. Well, that's an interesting idea. Tell me more about that. Well, is that, whether... Is that because, you know, you've got something going on in your unconscious mind and you're not yes, aware of it, yes. but you're sabotaging yourself? Absolutely. Very well said. So you do know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. So as we know, in, in social sciences, we now know that most children by age seven have created their, their identity and their basic neural structure. And it's not much like the law. Um, I was just, in fact, reading a law book. And, and much like the law is subject to interpretation, our subconscious minds are subject to interpretation. So if you do something when you're small and you interpret it, even though you didn't do anything naturally really wrong, but the way that your parents yell at you or the way that kids make fun of you or the way that your teachers, you know, discipline you, you may interpret that response as you not being good enough or you being dumb or you being in the way or whatever it is. And with time and repetition, these neurons continue to connect until they go on autopilot. And so you've got this subconscious mind of yours running the show of your life, and yet you don't even know what the instructions are. So our prefrontal cortex is the captain, but it's like our subconscious mind is the one that's driving it on auto cruise. Okay. And you're saying that... Um neuroscience and spiritual practices can help people to change that, to not, not be running on something they learned when they were younger than seven years old, but to be more mindful and stop recreating drama in their lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and this goes way back to my, like I said, my undergrad degree when I was so excited to learn about the subconscious mind. And at first it led to, to hypnotherapy. But then once I discovered neuroscience and then coupled that with quantum physics, it just became really, really obvious what is behind the saying of we create our own reality and how we can create a different reality. And it all starts between our ears. Okay. So what is it that you teach people to do? So what is it I teach people to do? Well, the first and foremost important thing is the topic that we discussed of metacreation. And it's so interesting that how many people are resistant to it. So a lot of people, like those who follow me on Facebook, for instance, are, I mean, it's a constant day in, day out. And so say I have a coaching client or whatever, and they call me and they're like, this isn't working. And I say, are you doing a practice every day? Or are you journaling? You know, there's just these simple things that we need to do, and, and all my books talk about them. You don't need, you know, you don't need to necessarily hire somebody. You can just read a book that talks about these things. And so when we know our own mind and we understand how neuroscience and neuroplasticity and quantum physics works, it's just a matter of applying it. And so that's what I teach. I teach people how to apply it. But, of course, we have to worry about the 
rest of the time we're walking around, you know, how do you communicate with other people? How do you communicate with yourself? Do you hold grudges? Do you have a positive attitude? I mean, all of those things kind of fall under the umbrella of creating a better life, don't you think? Mm-hmm. So to change their lives, you encourage people to meditate creatively, you know, and, and actively pay attention to what they would like to have happening in their lives. Yes? Yes. Okay. What's the law of attraction? Well, the law of attraction um, is the idea goes back to the days of, well, it goes back to the days of Jesus if you want to go really far, but it goes back to the ideas of New Age thinkers such as Napoleon Hill that say like attracts like. And while I don't subscribe personally to that idea of law of attraction, which is why I named my book Law of Distraction, because the law of attraction is not really something that works or doesn't work. It's just like gravity. You, you get what you think about. You get what you focus on. The problem is that most people aren't focusing with their conscious minds. They're focusing with their subconscious minds, which we just discussed, can not necessarily be focused on the right things. So that's why all of my work has centered around helping people get their brains and their thoughts and their actions all in alignment with the things that they want in, in, you know, in their lives so that the law of attraction is kind of a natural byproduct. And that's where you know, the quantum physics comes in. So what's the law of distractions? Well, it's what I just said. It's that we, we are evidence that the law of attraction works, but most of us are working with it wrong because of our past programming. So the law of distraction is saying the reason you don't have what you want in your life is because you're not really focused on it because you're too distracted with things that you don't want. I mean, wouldn't you agree, Virginia, that it's really, really challenging? Let's say you, you, you know, you're working with a family going through a divorce or whatnot, and the woman is in tears all the time, and you try to tell her that she can have a bright, beautiful future once we get through this rocky road, but she can't, she refuses to move her perspective away from the pain she's in now, which is perfectly normal. But as long as we stay with our attention on what we don't want, it doesn't leave that window open for something that can come. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So essentially you're training yourself to expect that what you want to have happen will happen. Yes. And once you expect it... I want to make sure that I'm not misunderstood and that I'm not saying for even a second that there are not some traumatic and even tragic events in our lives. There are, there are definitely times when we need to mourn and grieve, and I understand that. What I'm saying is that there are a lot of people who get stuck in that, and they, they just refuse to realize that they're not going to have anything better until they can stop focusing on what they don't want and begin focusing on what they do want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I read somewhere that humor is involved in this change process. Tell me about that. Well, I agree that humor is extremely important. I talk about it often. Um, the book, The Law of Distraction, is very humorous. Um, the two 
Secrets of a Spiritual Guru, the yoga real estate books are very, very, almost slapstick funny. Um, I, I think that humor is really, really important for a number of things, and mainly because we take ourselves too seriously. Um, we now know through medical research that laughter and humor can be very conducive to healing. Um, the combination, I think, of not taking yourself so seriously, as well as the biochemistry of releasing the endorphins that you do when you laugh, it's just healthy to laugh. And so, you know, that, and, and probably the third humor book is not my last one. I'll probably do another sequel to the, to the female humor book because laughter is just really important and people, people need to laugh. We take ourselves so seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Some of us do. <laughs> but I, uh, I tell my kids that I laugh at ridiculous things and they look at me like I'm being crazy. And I just say, listen, laughing is good for me. <laughs> Don't get in my That's way. That's right. <laughs> oh, boy. Hmm. Well, what else would you like to say about this particular book that caught my interest, The Law of Distraction and the Art of Intention? Do you want to add anything about that? Well, First of all, I'll just give you the setup there because I want to make sure that people, when they get it, they're like, what is this? This is totally different than what I thought. I had listened to someone, I think it was, uh, I saw it on the, on the internet, and it was about someone who said she was channeling someone, you know, channeling, like a voice was coming through her. And I thought, you know, that's funny in that... I'm not sure if I believe it, number one. And number two, I know there's a lot of people who don't believe it. And then I thought, but boy, she's saying some really, really great things. And so I just kind of got this idea um, as a spoof to kind of recreate that circumstance and pretend with lots of humor and exaggeration so it was very obvious um, that I was having a conversation with an angel. And so instead of my angel being, I don't know, Archangel Michael, for example, my angel is um, someone who puts me in mind of Jerry Stiller, who goes to the horse, horse track and gambles and has, has, a, has a New York accent. So I made him a funny angel, you know, like, like the movie with George Burns about the God movie. It's, I, I just kind of did that with it just to kind of take literary license. But yet the, the information that comes through this alleged angel um, is, you know, profound. It's delivered with a little bit of humor, but it's profound. And so that was the, the idea. That was the intention behind that book. And, and I think it went over pretty well. I think, I think that a lot of people are really enjoying it and working with it. Okay. So you did intend it to be funny, but you also intended it to carry a serious message. Yes, it definitely has a serious message. A little bit of neuroscience thrown in there, um, as well as spirituality, as well as quantum physics. But I keep it, I keep it light. And, you know, it's funny, Virginia, because there are people who have read that book and really resonated with it, and, you know, to where, I'm not going to use the term cult, but where people will call the angel in the book, his name is Morty, people will say, you know, what would Morty say about this? And and I kind of look at them like, I hope you know that that was just, <laughs> that was just a joke, but I don't really say that. I just kind of, I just kind of smile and walk away slowly. But, you know, it, it's funny because a lot of people resonate with 
my humor books more than they do my serious books. And likewise, the people that are big fans of my serious books don't tend to take the, the light stuff as well. So I guess, I guess different people learn in different ways. And so part of my purpose, I feel, on this planet is through the gift of writing and speaking, sharing the same information in as many ways as I can find possible so that it resonates with just about everybody. Okay. Well, on that note, we will take a little break and we'll be back in a minute or two. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Sadly, that's wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, or co-parenting, there is a better way. Family mediation. Save time, save money, and make good plans for your children. Visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at APFMNet.org. That's APFMNET.org. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, Please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin, talking today with Tamara Lee Doris, who is a personal and professional development expert. She teaches people how to use neuroscience, psychology, and spirituality to help change their lives. So we were, I forget where we were before break. We were talking maybe about humor? Yes, we were talking about humor and and how good it is for us. Yeah, yeah. And then during break, we started talking a little bit about 
the relationship between happiness and success. I'm sure a lot of people who are looking for professional development are looking for a kind of success. Does that make them more happy, less happy, different for each individual? You know, that's such a great and profound question, Virginia. Um, I recently was giving a, a talk. I recently was invited to do a little keynote presentation, and I was talking about neuroscience and a little bit about quantum physics, and afterwards, a woman came up to me, and she was in complete awe. I mean, she was definitely not trying to be um, nosy or insulting, but she said to me, she goes, it's like you have the Holy Grail. You must be really rich. (laughs) And there were several people standing around, and I kind of smiled, and I go, I go, well, I'm not exactly sure how to answer that. And she goes, well, like, you must not owe any mortgage or anything. And again, (laughs) I was taken aback, and I go, well, I'm not sure that I understand the correlation you're making. And she goes, well, if you have the holy grail and you know stuff, how could you not be incredibly successful? And I, I laughed, and I made a joke, you know, to myself. I said, well, having the holy grail... You know, look what it did for Jesus, right? I mean, a person can have, know a lot of stuff, and that doesn't necessarily mean that in the, in the wide range of perceptions that that qualifies as success. So I said to her, what does success mean to you? And she goes, well, it means that your mortgage is paid off and you can buy any kind of car you want. And I said to her, so if you were on your deathbed right now, would you say the best thing I accomplished was being able to buy whatever kind of car I wanted? And she stopped like she'd never considered the idea before. And she goes, I guess not. And I said, oh, okay. So, yes, I'm very successful. Thank you. (laughs) And the the point is that success is different for everybody but one of the things that I encourage anyone who reads my any of my books will probably see something to this to this nature, and that is it's never the money or the prestige that you want that you think you want. It's the feeling that you think you'll get when you have it. And there's nothing in the entire universe that says you can't start feeling like that right this minute. And what most people who really, really get what I'm saying and really try to apply it, even if it doesn't come from me, even if they were inspired by some some other author, is that they begin to understand when they're not waiting for that raise or that promotion or that degree or whatever it is, that they're not waiting for it to begin to feel as if they already had it. It's not that important to them. And then they get it much faster and much easier. So it's kind of like reverse thinking, if that makes sense. If I, if I think I'm going to feel great when I have a million bucks in the bank, but I start assuming the emotions and the actions and the attitude as someone who is completely abundant, all of a sudden I recognize that it wasn't the money that made me happy. It was me that made me happy. And then it's just so crazy how the money comes. So that's kind of my, my two cents worth on on the idea of success. Okay. Well, it certainly sounds like 
it's it's a valuable thing for people to learn that you can be happy during the journey along the way. You don't have to wait for that raise before you can be happy. You don't have to wait to be successful before you could be happy. Well, and and even just to go one further, you know, you just said you don't have to wait till you're successful. I mean, it's the same thing. Who says you're not successful right now? I mean, you, if you were born. You are successful because you won the sperm race. I mean, you are successful <laughs> just just by virtue of being alive, right? Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that everyone would agree with you about that. But um, it's most people think it's better than the alternative. <laughs> yes, it, well, and that's the thing. And, and you know, Virginia, the point is is that if you're waiting for something to happen in your life before you can call yourself successful, then I have bad news. There's always going to be something else. You know, just think back in your own life. Wasn't there a time when you thought, as soon as I'm 18, things are going to be great, or as soon as I finish high school, or as soon as I get my law degree, or as soon as, you know, I get married, or as soon as I have this baby, whatever it is, there's always going to be something else. And so until we're dead, until we're dead, we're never going to be through wanting the next thing. That tends to be true in my experience. Most people achieve a goal and then right away they want to set another goal. They don't just sit back and relax and enjoy it that, wow, here's this big accomplishment. I think I'll celebrate. (laughs) Um, Right, because as human beings, we're always expanding. We're here on this planet, I believe, um, to grow and to serve and, and, you know, and to have a good time. And mm-hmm. when we're done growing and serving and having a good time, then chances are our lives are over. Okay. Well, let's wind back to uh, an earlier part of life. The things that you teach, can they be useful for children? Oh, gosh, yes. Gosh, yes. Um, Okay, so going back to what we talked at the beginning or kind of in the middle about metacreation, one thing that I did for my children, and you you could just do an Internet search, I'm sure, because my kids are all moved out and, you know, grown up, but I used to be able to find um, recordings or I would do my own recording on a tape recorder um, with my hypnosis. But uh, you can find recordings, and why not play either soft music or guided meditations as your children fall asleep? And that can apply for any age. I used to play for my um, my daughters who were struggling with math, just soft affirmations with music behind it that said, I will study, I will focus, I understand math, math comes easy to me. It's just a very slight, minor hypnotic suggestion as they fall asleep. And I 100% believe that that made a difference. So, yeah, kids are very, um, they're very malleable in their brains. And so we can help them. We can help undo some of the damage that we've caused them. (laughs) Yeah, it's a sad thing. It is so difficult to raise your children without harming them in some way. Absolutely. Not not many parents just get it all right. (laughs) Yeah, no, no parent does. And I mean, you know, and especially like going back to the divorce, nobody gets married with the intention of then tearing their family apart and having the child suffer. That's never the idea or the intention. And so it's, it's comforting, I would think, to know that we can kind of soften that blow and help heal those wounds by simple things like teaching our children to 
express themselves um, through drawing and through journaling and simple things like meditating with positive affirmations and teaching them positive affirmations. I mean, just think of a child. If you can get a hold of a child from the, you know, ages 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, even all the way up till 10 and teach them positive self-talk and affirmations, they can absolutely start building those neural networks that once they're in adulthood, it will help offset many of the negative interpretations that they have. You know, this sounds like maybe the most important thing that we've discussed during this conversation. I think I think I'd like to hear you say that again. You know, you can start working working with your kids when they're three, and teach them. It sort of sounds like teach them positive psychology from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Because now we know, as I said, up until about age seven. Um, by age seven, they have their basic neural structure in place. So even before then, if from ages three, four, five, six, seven, you can start teaching them positive self-talk. That's absolutely going to help form their basic neural structures. But there's nothing to say that they will not adopt it and apply it if we start teaching them self, positive self-talk, positive psychology, um, how to how to affirm in a positive way, how to meditate and imagine. You know, there's not an athlete or an Olympian that exists that hasn't used meditation and or visualization. From Tiger Woods to Mark Phelps, you know, and I believe Tiger Woods started when he was young, and that's what made him, you know, such a such a smash. But the thing is, is that we're not teaching our children how to believe in themselves because we're busy teaching them how not to believe in themselves because we're not believing in ourselves. What would be an example of something you've seen someone do that amounts to teaching your child not to believe in himself or herself? Okay, well, let's just use a divorce example. What, how are you talking about your soon-to-be ex-spouse? What are you doing when you say, oh, he's such a jerk? You're, you're saying my happiness is dependent upon something outside of me. And that child will interpret that to mean, in order for me to be happy, everyone in my life has to make me happy. Mm. So instead, it would be much healthier for your kids if you, as a person who is in the process of getting divorced, could say, you know what, these are really tough times for us. But we are going to come out okay. We're going to be fine. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, it, I think, honestly, that as parents, we teach our children more things that we don't mean to with our own actions and behaviors than the words we say to them. So the mother or the father who says, we're going to be okay, just don't worry about anything, we're going to be okay, but then sits in his room crying all night where the child walks by, it's like they're getting mixed messages. So I I guess the key would be that our behaviors and attitudes and how we handle our own dramas and ordeals and challenges, we have to realize that those are lessons even though they don't seem like they're official or formal lessons, those are lessons that we're giving our children. Mm-hmm. Yes, and children do learn more from what you do than from what you say. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I had a great conversation on this show one time with Ginny, Ginny Trierweiler about how kids are born for brilliance 
And if you just don't get in their way, they naturally believe in themselves and expect to be able to do things. And lo and behold, they can. Yep. Yep. I, yeah, I subscribe to that 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, we just have about a minute left. I want to remind people that if they would like to learn more about your books or your speaking engagements or anything else you offer, they can go to www.tamaradoris.com. Is there anything that you would like to repeat or add during our last minute or so? Um, Well, first of all, I'd like to say that Tamara Doris, Doris is D-O-R-R-I-S, TamaraDoris.com. Thank you for mentioning that website, Virginia. Um, in closing, I would just like to remind your listeners that nothing, nothing is impossible. That if you have an idea in your mind or your heart and it's something that you think about, there's a reason it's there. And the biggest source of unhappiness, in my opinion, is for us not to at least try to follow our dreams. All right. Let's end on that note. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow.